0: See?
1: Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with someone that listeners have been wanting me to have on the show for a long time, and I'm very excited to meet in person for the first time, Shane Moss. Hello and hello. welcome. Hello.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Host of the Here We Are podcast and currently on a tour... That where the dates are multiplying, so he might be on tour forever. They just it's going to keep dividing and and not dividing. I was going somewhere with that and I lost it. But anyway, it's a long tour and it's called a good trip and it's about your experience with psychedelics. Yes? Yeah,
0: and some of the information about psychedelics that I've learned along the way.
1: Well, so I was um, doing some research on you earlier. Uh, I would lo- I would like to get into your whole story, but what I read is that you dealt with anxiety. Right.
0: Oh, uh, er, early on, um, in in comedy, I mean, I always had like a little bit of uh some self esteem problems and and whatnot. I mean, that's most people probably. Right. And um, so so one thing about that is if you found it on like Wikipedia or whatever, like if someone wrote my Wikipedia page for me, and I think they went through every newspaper article they could find in newspaper articles, try to like really play up everything and like he triumphed over
1: anxiety and and all that i did after a hard scrabble midwestern existence (laughs) and overcame stage
0: fright yeah i mean i had i probably had more stage fright than your average person i remember the first two months i was on stage i could only like read out of a notebook and like Mm -hmm. look at a note like i couldn't look at the audience or anything like that but really it wasn't I mean, looking back, it was like two months of that, and then I was doing really well. And I mean, I I always, um, throughout my career, I think most comedians have to struggle to get, or not struggle, but most comedians just get more and more comfortable on stage Mm -hmm. as they do it. And definitely at first, I was very much like a one linery kind of absurdist person, and I've tried to push myself to do other things. Like uh, the first time I... I remember when I started to get into storytelling more. That was, uh, that was a lot harder and made me feel anxious. And then, and then just things like I have a bit now where I sing a little bit on stage, and and that's something I never pictured myself doing. I absolutely hate singing, and I'm very <laughs> insecure about my voice. So I I try to. I try to get out of my comfort zone as much as possible and, and push. I, I I like to feel a little uncomfortable about the things that I'm doing. I think then you're probably heading in the right direction. That's not always the case. Sometimes you should feel uncomfortable because the thing that you're saying right. is a really bad idea. But, well, but, that's
1: – I feel like with everything in life, there's a cliche for both sides of it. Right. And that's like that book, The Gift of Fear. Do you know that book? No. Um, I have it. I haven't read it. Someone sent it to me, but I know about it. And it's the idea that we've become cut off from our intuition Mm. and that if you're getting the sense that the person around you is an unsafe person – now I'm now I'm just making up what I think it's about. I think it's like this. <laughs> Probably you're telling yourself, oh, I shouldn't be judgmental. I should just, oh, you know, it's, it's me. But the truth is maybe you're actually picking up on something legitimate. And I think that applies to like women who are always dating the wrong kind of guy or something like that, you know, like listen to your intuition. But then on the other hand, and I wish I could remember what, what show I just heard this on. There was some TV show, but someone said, everything you want is on the other side of fear. I hope it wasn't Tony Robbins. I don't know where I heard that, but something like that. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because it's so tempting to not push yourself. Mm -hmm. It's so tempting to just get in a comfortable spot and stay there.
0: I see a lot of comics start out They are, you know, nervous or whatever. And then they got their first five minutes together and then they stick with that five minutes that makes them comfortable for the next five years of their Mm -hmm. lives and then are bitter that they aren't going anywhere. And so there's a little bit of that. And um, by the way, I also like the idea of doing book reports of books you haven't read. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) in and of itself. Um,
1: Oh, I just remembered where everything you want is on the other side of fear. It's actually from Pete Holmes new show who I know you know. Yeah. Um crashing.
0: Ah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean from an artistic point of view, I absolutely agree with that. From someone who is really into evolutionary biology and psychology, I am kind of against the idea of of uh just taking your Gut feelings at face value and thinking that because you feel something, it's a correct. It's it means that you should be doing this thing or or whatever. And and I think that uh, I think that we have a lot of built-in cognitive biases Mm -hmm. um, that steer us in the wrong direction all of the time.
1: Well, that's interesting. How how does that, the idea that we have that we're getting signals that are pushing us in the wrong direction? How does that correlate with evolutionary? uh, biology.
0: So, um, so, so like a good example of, of cognitive biases that most people have, and, and this is different. Everyone has, um, so, so when I say this, it's good to bear in mind that there's individuals that have certain self-esteem issues and certain issues. So don't experience the same thing. But overall, if you ask people to, um, if you ask people where they think they fall as far as uh, are are you a better driver than 50% of people are you smarter <laughs> than 50% of people about 90 or to 95% of people believe that they're better than the average population in most anything okay. and um and and part of how that evolved is, is because confidence can get us a long ways in life even if that confidence isn't really it doesn't have merit mm-hmm. um and and so some of these, things, like one of my favorite um, studies, is they took people's, they took a picture of people's faces, and then they they made them, uh, they took five pictures that were more attractive of them, so they just morphed their face to be ten percent more symmetrical, twenty percent. 30% 40% as far as facial attractiveness it has um, mostly is, has to do with symmetry and then they made them 10% uglier 20% uglier 30% 40% 50% and then they scrambled and then their actual face and they scramble those 11 faces around and flash them on a the screen and have people point to their face oh. and <laughs> most people pick a face that's 20% more attractive than they actually are because it's just easier to get along in life. Right, because
1: you want to see yourself that way. Right. so interesting. But
0: there's a lot to say for finding ways to assess reality in a little more accurate way. And, And the
1: people were tasked with find the one, like they knew they had been morphed, right? they knew they were looking at altered pictures themselves and it was like, fine, the one that is you. As I'm not sure that we're the told like. like
0: five of them are more attractive and five of them. Are, right. They're like, hey, we've morphed these pictures and mm-hmm. you pick the one that's actually you. And this is what you. a look, bunch
1: of vain assholes.
0: So, I mean, this is, you look at your face all of the time in the mirror. We, we are all quite familiar with our right. faces and still, um, uh, the majority of us have this kind of rosy colored view. Of, we were uh, seduced. <laughs> yeah. And, but, on on the other side of things as far as like getting over your fear there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of things that we're scared of that we absolutely shouldn't be which is um evolved things like we have these uh in-group out-group kind of instincts and and uh, in, in our kind of uh like needing
1: thr- acceptance and validation
0: Well like in our, throughout our evolutionary history, say a different tribe from a different area was a real, real threat. Mm-hmm. They absolutely were. And you can look at monkeys and they they go around and patrol their little area. And if a, if, if, this isn't all um, monkeys and apes. There's there's ones that don't behave there's this politicians. way. But, <laughs> um, but, but this is like a, a big thing that'll happen, especially in like chimps and all sorts of other groups where... Uh, they see an outsider and they attack that outsider Mm -hmm. and and um sometimes even kill them and these are things that in a modern world i would like to think as humans that we can overcome and and then also kind of understanding um how some of that happens i mean a lot of a, a lot of a lot of confidence in on the other side of it fear is is just based on experience if you don't have experience doing something um you know you probably shouldn't be terribly confident uh in it but you can have confidence in the idea that with practice will you'll get better at it and then you'll gain more experience from that and a lot of confidence comes from experience and and so a lot of um a, a lot of people have you know haven't ventured outside of their little bubble and mm-hmm. so kind of outside of their bubble and outsiders still seem a very like a threat and concerning to them because they haven't had experience meeting these people. I, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin and I have a lot of experience with I mean I felt that when I was younger and I have a lot of experience with being around those people. And and so that's that's something that
1: Are we talking racism or provincialism?
0: Um or both? I, I would I mean I say that it more easily applies to things like racism but um but most of the isms xenophobia <laughs> and, and and those sorts of things um kind of come from that and, and they can be um, the, these things are kind of flexible too. So if you're, if you're, say, and actually, if, if you're, uh, pregnant women are are far more, uh, and and new mothers are far more racist than than the than than normally they are because they're more vulnerable, <laughs> and, and and then they also have this new life that they have to protect and and everything right. and and uh, I know and so I've been really offending
1: Jeff lately with my constant. <laughs>
0: All of your, racist
1: jokes. <laughs> all
0: of your attacks on cats. <laughs> um, so, so these things are are kind of flexible, and and um, it, like if you're if you're sick, you're going to feel the same way. Like if you have, um, so if your immune system is fragile or under attack, you it will um, warp your perception so that you don't go out and seek new things and new experiences mm. because your immune system's doing everything that it can to keep up with the threats in the immediate environment. And so it doesn't want to go out into new environments and take on even more threats than it's already taken on. And so there's just a million different things like that that are altering our perceptions. And so so um it, it's just to say I don't think there's one really hard and fast rule, which is like, I mean, I always say get out of your comfort zone, but but I, I don't think that that applies to every single situation in life. And, and also, I think a lot of these, um, a lot of what drives us and what makes us perceive things are just incredibly complicated and nuanced and very difficult to wrap your head around.
1: Yeah. I am someone who is very... Driven. Oh,
0: and might I say, yes. I wasn't calling you racist because you're oh, pra- I was oh, just no, making a joke of yeah. some fine no, things that <laughs> they No, I you know. You maybe. I don't know enough about you. I like <laughs> the like thing I'm, I'm not. that you're
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I'm not. Um, but I'm someone who's very driven to always find out the truth. And if someone is not being honest with me, it just, like, I have a physical reaction to it. And I mean, mm. some of that has to do with how I grew up and. And it just in general, I'm like not in situations where it doesn't matter. If I feel like I'm being bullshit, it bugs the fuck out of me. So there's that. And then also I always want to know what is reality, like what's really happening. So tricky. Yeah. But, but it's interesting hearing all these things you're saying that warp your perception.
0: And often when people are bullshitting you, so so a lot of these a lot of these um thing, these this self-deception that we have is um, lying can get you a long ways in life and the way to make lies the most convincing is if you actually believe them yourself, yourself yeah. and so and so we have these biases that make us lie to ourselves like crazy.
1: What I always wonder with people you meet who are who lie constantly do they believe it? Well, like I think a real fabulist, or like a total bullshit artist, you know, someone who's just constantly shifting reality. Like, what, what do they believe?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I remember I, I have one person that I, that I was kind of friends with through uh, high school and young adult years as a pathological liar, and mm. and uh, just like couldn't help but lie about any. Like, you'd open right. up In a magazine, and then they'd be like, my. You know, my grandfather invented the laminate for page. And mm. like, wh- that's not what happened. <laughs> right. it, no, no right. that didn't. Why are you? Why are you just making this up? Yeah. And and, <laughs> and I, I don't. I don't quite understand that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. May, maybe some people that the people that lie the most have to train themselves to be good at it, and so they they lie over these. Um, uh, kind of low cost lies right. where if they get caught, it's not that big of a deal. Just to kind of hone their lying skills, I don't know.
1: But I think it's also a self-aggrandizing thing. It's like you should like me. I'm I know the laminate baron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the magazine story.
0: Well, did you hear about him? <laughs> he, his grandfather was the laminate baron. <laughs> I I want to get to know a little more about that
1: guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um. So what was your upbringing like in in small town, Wisconsin? Which town?
0: Um, outside of La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, it's, which is a smaller city. I think it's about 50,000 people now, at least when college is in. So it's it's not tiny. It was smaller when I was growing up. But I lived outside of it in this little town called Onalaska, which is, even that's not – I don't know if it's 10,000 people or something like that. It's not tiny. But I also – my parents are from towns like um, – Uh, New Albany, Iowa, and Lansing, Iowa, which have uh, New Albany must have a population of I I don't know if it's like 500 or something like that, and and uh, Lansing probably has a maybe a couple thousand or something like that. I'd be surprised if it had more than that.
1: Did you uh have to work to get rid of your accent?
0: Um, no, I don't have one. Well, thank you. A lot of people think I have an accent, not uh, I mean, not that I uh.
1: Pregnancy blocks your ability to hear accents because you're just focusing on other races. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's most of it. Um, I'm not hearing it, but maybe you do have one.
0: Well, I I think I lose it more and more as mm-hmm. time goes on, um, especially when I go back to Wisconsin. I, I hear it on, especially my, my mom and my sister. Like, oh, yeah, oh, geez, it's so nice, you know. <laughs> and... And I mean, that's not something that I noticed until I left. Right, and um, it didn't take but a few years to go back and be like, "Wow, that is a very thick accent." And once in a while, I'll hear myself say words and I'm like, "That's very Wisconsin of me."
1: Say "bag." Bag. Th- but the word. Say that oh, word. Bag. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My Wisconsin friend says "bag."
0: Bag. Yeah. There's like a. Baggy. Uh, my dad says Warsh. Um Yeah, there's, there's. I, I don't know other specific words. I, I'm trying to think of the words that I say. Uh, weird. I can't. Okay. Um.
1: So. So yeah, up, I, I had. What's your upbringing like?
0: I had. Uh. I mean, my my uh, my mother was. It is this very, very, very wholesome woman, and was incredibly protective, and also naive, and like kind of scared of everything, mm. and and didn't have a ton of life experience, and and so was she, she was very, very produ- uh, protective. She was, I think, she was like twenty one when she had me, or twenty two, or something like that. That seems young. Yeah, that's pretty young. <laughs> that's Pretty young. Yeah. And, um, and then, so my sister, who's five years younger, had it a little easier. And then my brother had it, uh, the, the baby is nine years younger and, and he, he was able to do kind of whatever he wanted to, or, or a lot more anyway. But yeah, I was, um, I, I was kind of very, very sheltered and I really, really kept to myself. I, I was raised, um, in a fairly, I, I don't know if i want to say strict strict religious also because there's certainly people that are ha, had a much more strict religious upbringing than i did but i had it um i i wasn't uh i always had i always had about the strictest curfew of any of my friends and um was forced to church and and uh what religion uh catholic and so c c d which is like a um sunday school at, mm-hmm. on a wednesday evening. And it it never really made much sense to me, and and you couldn't really talk about much of anything. It's a lot of, it, I mean, people in the Midwest are very like, let's let's talk about the sports and weather, and let's not dive too much into anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I was always, I mean, it kind of shocked everybody when I became a comedian because I was always exceptionally quiet, and it was hard to get a word or two out of me. And
1: was that um. Were you shy or were you shut down? Like, were you frustrated that people weren't going deeper? Had that come, Had that developed in you yet?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I always had a uh, knack for uh, – I was always drawn to bigger conversations. Um, I was frustrated that I wasn't getting the answers that I wanted for, about how life worked.
1: Were you asking yeah. the questions?
0: A, a little bit, yeah. And then I was just like, oh, okay. Well, that's, I guess I can't – Like, I, who I, were you I, asking? I wasn't – yeah my parents and people around me and I, I wasn't i wasn't getting satisfying answers and then i also had the impression that you couldn't ask more challenging questions than that and um, my
1: soul just crumples up just even thinking about that situation and i can relate to it yeah like that's very that's it's very frustrating yeah when I, it's like you're hitting when you're hitting a wall
0: yeah, I mean, there was a period of time in my life when I just thought I was like a crazy person because I thought everyone else in the world believed this stuff and I was the only one that didn't. And right. um and so I couldn't tell if the world was crazy or I was crazy. And, um and uh, b- because I hadn't met anyone else like me when I was younger. And it was very a, a lot of uh a lot of my environment was very like kind of emphasis on like being a macho tough guy mm. and um I, I i didn't fit into that world very well and then and i would try to as well i gotten like a lot of fights and stuff when i was younger <laughs> and i'm not naturally like interested in fighting i just wanted to like prove that i was tough too and it's also embarrassing looking <laughs> back at um did at, you play sports no, not really. I never really liked sports that much. I'd play them with my friends, but I couldn't play organized sports. Mm-hmm. I never got into. Um, I didn't like anything organized. I didn't like being told what to do. I didn't like, uh, I hated, uh, I had a real, real problem with authority in general. I didn't uh, I didn't like any, if I was told to do something, I would rebel against it. I was not a fan of school at all. I was a sp- especially not a fan of church and um and I wasn't uh, a big fan of much of anything that that my parents uh were were telling me to do either and I I definitely rebelled against that quite a bit.
1: Um what did your dad do?
0: My dad makes countertops for kitchens and bathrooms and has his own business a very blue collar guy. I started working with him when I was like 10 years old and and then uh later on we didn't get along very well into the work environment, and so i later on i worked for a grocery store and then i i uh worked in various factory jobs and stuff like that and and uh and then eventually did some construction stuff i i had a lot of i i did a lot of blue collar mm-hmm. stuff i never went to college and um and yeah i was uh i definitely didn't like the environment that i was in and i definitely wanted to go out of it and that's that's something that my my fear and nervousness kept me from moving. I, the plan was to just move the hell out of there as soon as I was 18 years old. I was very kind of angsty and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up just kind of, you know, I'd get a job to try to save money and then end up drinking too much or whatever and not saving money. And, and uh, so it took me about, there's about a five-year delay on that before I finally moved.
1: And you went to Boston, right? Yep. What made you choose Boston?
0: I just had a friend moving to Boston. I was aiming for New York or LA. I had no idea how to get start started in comedy. I just knew I wanted to be a comedian, and I
1: had you done comedy at all? No. Do they have comedy in these in this town?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly could have. Have I would have? Have I wanted to put myself out there? The idea of my friends or family seeing me try comedy was horrifying mm-hmm. to me, and so I definitely. Liked the idea of performing in front of complete strangers instead. And so I wouldn't even, like, I didn't even want to go to like Madison and Minneapolis or close by. And I didn't even want to like go there and the off chance that someone I knew would, <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, I was pretty paranoid about it.
1: Um, wait, to go back to something from earlier. So you said that you didn't get along well with your dad
0: <clears throat> in, in the in work the, environment, right? But you know. in general,
1: how, what was your relationship with him like?
0: I mean, we, he worked worked and still works like crazy and so we would uh you know play catch or whatever or or he would my younger years we would you know watch some tv or whatever together but and that was about the extent of of uh my my family never took too many trips or anything like that and then when i was old enough when they started taking more trips or or they got uh uh they got like a camper for a while to go and go camping and, and that was right at the years when I definitely didn't want to be hanging out with my parents <laughs> right. in a camper on a weekend. <laughs> I wanted to be out hanging out with my friends. Um and yeah, I was I was uh um, I was responsible for uh I, I, I really stressed my mother out quite a bit, but she's just a a nervous person in in general. And uh and so having me uh, who's always getting into trouble and whatnot um was difficult for her, and she tried to control me more and then i'd rebel more and
1: okay well, so i'm gonna skip over a lot no problem and ask a question then we're gonna go back um, how what do your parents think of your comedy and the and psychedelics and all that now well, and the fact that you're this l a guy Who's on the road all the time?
0: Well, they've been very supportive of me as a comedian, and just like, well, whatever makes you happy you know my my dad is a huge fan of all the things that I do. The psychedelic stuff is completely lost on them, and I think concerning poor them, but they also like <laughs> see me enough and talk to me enough that they know I'm not like an insane person or right. something, but I think that's what they think these <laughs> crazy drugs do and and um my my mom um again very midwestern thing very very much um views herself through other people's eyes and cares very much about what other people think and so i mean the first time she saw me was on conan and and she was like a nervous wreck because i did like a joke about a vagina or something like that And, and and uh you know, they go to church all the time, and, and they're telling their church friends and and all of that. And then, oh my God, he's talking about vagina. My dad liked liked all of my uh, stand up from the get go, but my mom was very concerned until she'd like go to work and her coworkers would be like, "Hey, it was really great and stuff," and she'd be like, "Was it?" Like she would, she has no idea. Like she'll she'll come out to live shows and she likes seeing everyone else laugh and uh have a good time and that's how she assesses how i'm doing mm-hmm. um but to like see me on tv that's i think that's pretty nerve-wracking for <laughs> her because she just has to be judging it alone by herself and
1: but she must be proud as well do you think
0: yeah i mean i think sh- i think she's uh happy that i'm following uh dream and and um uh yeah i mean she's 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 my mom's just sp- a lovely wonderful uh midwestern aw shucks kind of lady and and uh yeah so they're 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 both uh, they're both proud i mean i i think that uh i think they don't know especially my mom doesn't know if it's like a thing that someone can do for a living sometimes i don't know if it's <laughs> right. a thing that <laughs> someone can do for a living to be honest. um but but so I, I don't know. I, I, they're probably. Uh, I think my mom was always a little more concerned about that. But um, yeah, the, the whole psychedelic. I did my psychedelic show in my hometown, and that, how was that? That was a. It was a little weird doing it in front of so many people that knew me, and and uh, and 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 it's not. Mostly when I do the show, I bring out an audience of people that are at least interested in psychedelics know that it's going to be about psychedelics some people have maybe haven't done them for 15 years or something like that but still have fond memories of them mm-hmm. or had had a time where it changed their lives or whatever and and um so it was a little weird to do it in an environment where it was just people like out to support the hometown boy <laughs> or or even to be like oh i wonder what this this person's going to talk about and and how crazy this is going to be not without having any interest or experience in psychedelics so it's a little strange it went well but i i also i also don't let that stuff affect me too much i i if i had to worry about what my mother thought about every (laughs) joke of mine i mean i just wouldn't be a funny person (laughs) in any way
1: right so you go to boston Mm -hmm. um and then you started doing open mics or how'd you mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah I, I took a comedy class i i i didn't know what i was doing i i went through the phone book and i uh this was oh four, and i went through the phone book and i found comedy clubs and i called them and i was like how do i do this stuff and this uh, guy rick jenkins with the comedy studio out there um dropped off like a whole packet of information for new people and a couple tickets to check out a show and went to a couple shows and then told them i wanted to do a spot and did a spot and it was like yeah whatever for for my first time it was whatever it wasn't good or bad um i got lost and didn't really remember what i was going to do and um but so So he told me about the stand up class. And it was just a, it was kind of a nice thing for me to just be in an environment full of other new people and just Mm -hmm. to try out stuff and figure out where the open mics were and that sort of thing. So I did open mics for a couple months. And then I went back to the comedy studio and did a spot and did really well. And then all the other comics around started helping me get spots in lots of other areas and I kind of, uh, or lots of other clubs and whatnot. And I started moving up pretty. Um, quickly really and yeah things went things went pretty well for me Um, about uh, a little over two years in I was in this Boston Comedy Festival and I made it into the finals there which for comic in Boston at the time just like a little over two years in that was a huge deal and then someone saw me there and uh, invited me to the HBO U.S. Comedy Arts Festival which was this thing that doesn't no longer exists but it was like uh it was the biggest thing for any new comic around and I won an award there and then I got representation and got on Conan and and the Conan people were good to me and had me back on right away and and so I was on Conan just under just before starting my third year of comedy and then uh was able to go full time as a headliner after that wow. and um and yeah so things kind of skyrocketed after that
1: as in because of the Conan spot or just time wise that's where you were?
0: Um because I I had uh I, I had an agent that could get me enough headlining spots and I had the Conan credit and was getting mm-hmm. other TV things. I think I think after um from my first Conan that year I think I got eight TV spots and um and so things were kind of taking off for me in a way um and then and i got a, and then i had like a comedy central presents not too long after that what's now the half hours and um and yeah and then and then after that things uh sort of plateaued for me a little bit i was just interested in working the road i wasn't interested in doing like la or new york things and and um i just wanted to be a road guy but you need to keep on having things come in and having buzz and whatnot uh mm-hmm get people's attention and and then so um and then i kind of reassessed everything that i was doing and went this other direction and started doing kind of more themed shows and and what
1: made you decide to do that
0: uh i started doing international gigs um this is when things were still like really taking off for me i started going to australia and and
1: uh before you became the has-been that you are right now
0: (laughs) yeah yeah uh fortunately things are going up again for me Um, (laughs) i'm joking no no i know but i it was uh it was a has-been situation for a little
1: while i think did it feel that way because that's the funny thing is i think to to an outsider it's like what are you talking about you are killing it but i know that when you're on the other side the incremental things mean so much
0: yeah work was drying up for me and everything else and and um wasn't getting the same number of tv spots and and um so when i started doing international stuff i started uh a, a lot of the international shows have um these uh, Big festivals where people do these themed things, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, I want to do more international work, so I'll write themed things well, what's my theme going to be and I was interested in various science ideas is just kind of what I would read in my off time and i i mean i would I would get home at like two in the morning or whatever drunk from a bar, and i'd open up a science book and start- re- my retention wasn't all there but it, but <laughs> But I definitely but had a natural, was. my intention always <laughs> was. And, um, and so I, I started working on various ideas and then, um, I eventually got really sucked into things like evolutionary psychology and biology and, and started pursuing that more. I had a special on Netflix called Mating Season, which was kind of my first whack at it. And it was, it was fine. It was just like my first try at doing a themed thing. And I didn't really push it the way that I wish I had. And then after that, I made an album about breaking both of my feet that I really liked a lot, but never got anyone's attention, which is fine. I was still, like, happy with the work. And then um, I have—I always have all these different kind of show ideas that I'm working on, and um, I just happened to try out this psychedelic show, and it got a really nice response, and started booking more of them, and, and then all of a sudden, this was becoming, I, I could do it night doing this psychedelic show, and it was I was making as much doing that as a week at a club and so then ended up uh, putting this tour together and which is I think when we started we were aiming for like forty cities and then it was sixty I think by the time it got announced and then uh and then it was like eighty five until recently I just extended it it's going to be like a hundred and twenty or something, but I still have to add a bunch of dates still
1: is it, all that out. is it themed stand-up or like yeah. on the spectrum of themed stand-up to one-man show? Where is it?
0: Well, I would say it's – a it's
1: On the spectrum of like Doug Benson to one-man show. Because I would yeah, say Doug Benson is – not, not all in his middle. jokes are – about pot though so
0: well it's i I i'd say it's a third jokes about psychedelics a third funny stories about my experiences and a third kind of like ted talky and very informative when i first started doing it it was all just kind of the jokes and then after a while i would uh i'd put a little more and more information in it was just nerve-wracking to do more informative stuff because you're going for longer without uh laughs which is unnatural as a comedian and the more that I did it, the more people responded to it, and people were like, "Oh, I really liked the informative parts of it and and so uh I just kept on adding more and more of that and mm-hmm. now it's uh now it's a pretty uh challenging show I would say it's a pretty um it's it, certainly compared to anything else that I've done it's um exceptionally kind of high concept um
1: challenging for you or the audience
0: um both. I I would say the audience I'd say it's kind of intellectually challenging. Mm-hmm. I it's it's the smartest material that I've ever written. It, it, it's also just kind of a uh, way of talking about how the brain works through this lens that is kind of easy to market and there's a there's a uh demand for and um and so so really it's just a a fun way for me to talk about perception and consciousness and um why we behave the way that we do.
1: When you broke both your feet, <laughs> yeah. How did you get around? I ask this as a pregnant woman who feels hobbled by my physical condition right now because it's not easy for me to walk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm happy I get to be your last guest. <laughs> That's before. right. Before
1: <laughs> it all happens. <laughs>
0: uh, it's exciting. Um, I one, one, I couldn't. I had to. Uh, I had to move out of my place and go and live with my parents for like three months because both my feet were. how did you break my, them? Ah, hiking. I jumped off a thing That's too high. Oh, I'm a huge adrenaline junkie, <laughs> and I was in the best shape of my life, and had too much confidence and stuff. I yeah. see. Yep. And uh, and one of them, one of them was not a big deal at all, but the other one was pretty serious, and and I was on crutches for like a year or so. And mm. but but I I took the first three months off, and then I was able to start performing again, and uh, wrote a whole kind of act about it. My album, My Big Break, was all about the whole story and experience. And it, that was also really interesting. I talked a, a, a way to get into kind of some of my more in-depth science stuff. The, the whole album's kind of about um these again, uh biases, uh, about kind of the negativity bias, which is this thing that we've evolved um that that makes us kind of err to the side of caution um more than is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um because there's more of a cost involved with negative things and and just kind of the uh topic of negative emotions and why we experience them and why we experience pain and so i i learned a lot from it and um and my one bad foot is is doing better all the time it's really not that big of a deal anymore uh i have a few day bad days here and there but i feel like it's kind of prepared me for old age in a way (laughs) and and i definitely learned a lot from i mean i look back now and i'm and i mean i feel really stupid <laughs> still uh for for having done that but i also i also i'm like well i'm i'm just like a jumper i just i just go for it in life and and i kind of push the boundaries a lot in a lot of different areas of my life and i'm kind of happy that i do that and take mm-hmm. these big chances and and a lot of it's paid off for me and i'm able to i've had a pretty amazing Life as far as I'm concerned, and get to do pretty awesome things and and uh, all, all that's because I've taken some pretty big risks
1: with in terms of coming up so fast in comedy and everything happening so quickly for you, did you feel like anyone begrudged you your success or was there any like blowback or anything just because I know that comedians are so can be very um, focused on like this is a discipline, you have to pay your dues, you have to spend all the years doing this, et cetera
0: there's a little bit of that i mean i just didn 't mind that much and and I kind of expected it and and i i mean it it was funny to have all these people i mean before I caught any breaks there 's all these people in Boston being like, Oh man, Shane Moss is going to be the next person to like break through and all this and then when I did, people were like, Why does he get all these thoughts and this <laughs> and that and and but I I mean I I, I didn't I didn't mind that stuff too much. I I think some of there there was a, definitely a lot of like old timers in Boston. There were some that were like super supportive, and then some that were like, "What the hell's with this kid? He's not funny." And like I, I don't know. But really, none of that stuff affected me mm-hmm. much. I I didn't care. I mean, that's that's. If anything, I kind of just feel bad for those people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when did you move to L.A. and why?
0: Um, I, so after Boston, I, I, th- I think I spent like six years in Boston, something like that, seven years. And then, and then I definitely was wearing on me. I, I think I, looking back, I probably spent two or three more years there than I wish that I had. Um, but I, I moved to Austin, Texas for about two years and then I, I met a girl out here and, and moved out, uh, with her. And uh, so I moved here for a girl. I didn't move here for like business. I've made a lot of girl-based decisions in <laughs> my life. I I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I I didn't have any big plans to like come to L.A. and make it big in sitcoms or anything like that. I just uh, fell in love with the lady.
1: And are you still with her?
0: Nope. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, you're still here. I'm still here. I like L.A. more than I thought I would. Yeah. <laughs> my uh, God,
1: like what would have happened if you'd fallen in love with a girl who lived in? Newbane, is that the name of the town? The Iowa oh, town? Oh,
0: New Elvin. New Elvin. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think
1: Newbane B- New is a painkiller. <laughs> is it? Yeah.
0: That's funny. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I, well, I just like to think that could never
1: happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, when did you start getting into psychedelics? And the reason I was asking about anxiety earlier is I was just um, wondering, like, how, I- if you, were someone who suffered from a lot of anxiety, which it sounds like you weren't. It sounds like you just had more like stage fright and mm-hmm. nervousness and stuff. but I was thinking for someone who does suffer anxiety, I wonder what psychedel- how psychedelics would affect that
0: um, yeah I, I, well, everyone responds differently. I had pretty bad um, depression for a really long time, and I feel like uh, psychedelics helped me through that quite a bit. Um, I think that um, for for some people um I mean, it's it's kind of like marijuana. I don't. I some people become a nervous wreck when mm-hmm. when they smoke weed. Some people, it's great for their anxiety or their OCD or whatever it might be. And psychedelics are similar. I, I think if used right, they could be uh, better. I mean, I mean things like MDMA or MDA. I think would probably be um, decent for anxiety, just because. it I mean. So it's MDMA is ecstasy Molly or, or Ecstasy, roles. right? What's MDA? MDA is is just a more psychedelic version of it, um a less speedy and more psychedelic version and um and and it's just very kind of lovey-dovey and and so i mean that they, they use it to treat ptsd because it kind of uh limits blood flow to the amygdala which is your fight or flight response and then it increases blood flow to the prefrontal cortex which is a lot of your higher up kind of executive functions and decision making stuff mm-hmm. kind of last to evolve and so you can talk about these things that are usually Way too difficult and too much of a threat for you to even acknowledge um, and then uh, and and then you can kind of do it in a more thoughtful way than normal and so so yeah, I think that that could be decent for anxiety. I think mushrooms could potentially be good for anxiety, but I'm also not not about like hey, everyone should be doing psychedelics and blah 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 my show's just kind of informing people about my experiences and what research and and by the way there's a million people that know way more about psychedelics than i do i don't even read about psychedelics or anything i kind of take my experiences and form my own ideas based on other like idea uh, um understandings about neuroscience and those sorts of things and and kind of run some of the ideas by some of the other scientists i talk to on my podcast and and um but and I, I'm I'm an advocate for research more more and more research. I would love for I think that I would be very comfortable saying that um, various psychedelics could be good for anxiety, depression, and this and that. If it were. In an environment where it was, which is how most psychedelics got their start, things like LSD and MDMA, if it were done in a therapist's office right. where there's someone there that knew um, uh, kind of what to do and how how to um, kind of guide you through it a little bit and and um, it's just kind of a nice, comfortable, safe environment, then it, if if that were the case, I'd say, well, why not? try it if it's in a safe environment like that unfortunately it's it's just in, in an environment where i mean one a lot of unless you get a drug testing kit from an organization like dance safe or something you you don't necessarily know what you're getting and and um and then there's just all sorts of things people need to know um about creating the right set and setting and a lot of people think they're going to be a party drug and then and then shit gets real, and and they they weren't ready for it. And so, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of things that can um, inhibit people's ability to experience the full uh, therapeutic benefits of them um, taking them in just like a let's go party at a music festival way mm-hmm. but then for some people some people will go that and uh, go to a music festival on psychedelics and have this incredible transformative spiritual experience i just it's it's just so uh unpredictable and how people are going to react to it is is such a different uh thing but i but i definitely um i definitely think that psychedelics absolutely have an impact on people's ability to kind of open themselves up and open their minds for sure that's kind of pretty well studied it creates a lot of new connections in your mind while you're on them so you can see a few new possibilities and maybe uh look at yourself a little more objectively and re- reassess things i think there's incredible amount of potential and hopefully we'll live in a more sane world <laughs> where people uh, there's just lots of problems with having it on the black market with Something like LSD, for example, yeah. that's a liquid drop and someone gives you a sugar cube and you don't know if they put one drop in there or accidentally dropped 10 drops in there. And so that sort of thing is is uh, is what troubles me with having it. I mean, LSD in an ideal world, in my mind, would be this kind of regulated thing where you'd have a pill and you'd know exactly this is exactly how many milligrams of pure lsd 25 that i'm getting and and um and then there could be some kind of instructions on how how to use them correctly Right. And, well like
1: any prescription drug
0: yeah like anything else and and so i mean i've had to make so many mistakes through my 20 years of psychedelic use and i'm um, I, I don't wish that on on anybody it was it was very beneficial but i've, I've had all sorts of um uh times <laughs> when i when i I mean, really, I haven't had anything that crazy happen, but I've had some, I've had some difficult trips. I've had, I've had some that kind of, I think made me a little self conscious for some time because I kind of learned things about myself that I wasn't ready for and didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Like what? Um, just kind of like self esteem issue things or having, having shame about some various, Things from my past, where um, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I I was raised in an environment that was that was pretty. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't a very diverse area, and there was a lot of like macho nonsense and a fair amount of like bigotry around. And and um, I mean, that was like you- that was just a natural part of my my youth, and it's stuff that that is like really embarrassing and and kind of troubling to look back on and i also like i can see where it comes from did you
1: participate in stuff or just the fact that you held those well, beliefs
0: well i wasn't i wasn't like going to clan rallies <laughs> or anything like that but sure i mean growing up the just just like the amount of bullying and and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff was was something that i think most anyone took part in and and especially like just the amount of like homophobia and right. stuff like that and and uh, man, looking were back you a bully? On, I I got bullied a lot more than I bullied. Um, I I was uh I had, I had a couple good groups of friends, but I was I definitely wasn't in the in crowd, and I got I got picked on a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And then you'd find someone else that you could pick on, and and this is, I mean, um, you you can go and uh, um, there there's like these. Oh like baboons are are a good example of they have like a very strict hierarchy, and they're kind of uh a lot of their a lot of their needs are are kind of met it doesn't take them long to uh to get all of the food that they need for a day or whatever and and they just kind of have a lot of time on their hands to be assholes to one another they're and, like teenagers yeah yeah exactly and they and they have this very very <laughs> strict hierarchy which is like uh no one messes with number 1 and number 1 can mess uh, can pick on whoever he wants to and and then 2 can pick on 3 and all the way down and and fi- and then and then the Guy that's nine out of 10 is still picking on number 10 and poor number 10 is getting picked on by everybody. And, um, I do think that these are some natural, I uh, say natural. I don't say okay. Mm-hmm. I think that they are, uh, natural part of, of some of our evolved, uh, psychology and, and something that I think people need to be a little more educated about. Um, and not just in a let's be friends with everyone kind of way. I think right. people should be educated on why this stuff comes out of us and and how it's a part of some of our instincts and i mean i do think that that sometimes i when i when i talk with with uh um some like social justice warriors out there i was like well so, sometimes I'm, I'm like well but you were raised in like a super liberal how like raised by professors and uh, like uh never had to experience any never were in this environment and you didn't have to like I had to figure things out and make changes in my life and take hard looks in the mirror and and um, apologize to a lot of people and that sort of thing and I I think some people kind of take it for granted that that they were raised in this environment I mean someone someone like uh, take someone like Richard Dawkins who who I really like a lot of his work and I think he's he's done some great stuff and and his books are fantastic if if not a bit toward the snarky side and laugh at some of the snarkiness in his books but it, it's like I I was very angsty um about my religious upbringing bringing and everything and and have probably had the same sorts of views about religious people that that he held but I also kind of understood that a lot of these people didn't have access to anything else whereas he was raised by professors and like he he didn't have to ever learn it. i mean everyone has to learn things on their own but he never had to completely shift his views and um and so i i think that sometimes those people maybe aren't empathetic enough not not saying that like we we need we need to have more empathy for hateful bigots or whatever but I do think that we need to search for a little bit of understanding and even me like I I still fall into this with like everything going on right now I'll write angry things on Twitter and Facebook and just like comes out and I can't stop myself mm-hmm. um but I think there's there's a lot of like great people out there that have never had the chance to experience a little bit of diversity and and our kind of uh in this environment where if if they if they even try to, uh, e- you know, be a little more sensitive um, toward people, they're you know, uh, they're mocked by their friends and bullied and 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 whatnot. And uh, I mean, that's a lot of in in these small rural areas. There's just such a there's such an emphasis on like being a tough man at least certainly during my upbringing and um you know if you if you want to have friends and be respected that was just part of it that was that was just like a a large part of it and um I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of potential to grow and and learn um that uh that maybe people are uh people are a little bit Too hard on sometimes. But
1: Yeah. I know what you mean. Like, especially like you're saying with everything going on politically right now on Twitter, I find that I assume I'm definitely
0: not uh, not practicing what I preach on Twitter and (laughs) Facebook. It's hard these days. It's hard these days. I know.
1: Um but people will ask questions and I'll assume they mean it in this shitty, snarky way, or they're trying to like ensnare me into a debate. So, I don't engage with it. Whereas I think my husband's approach is more like they might be genuinely asking, mm-hmm. like regarding the Women's March, mm-hmm. which I support wholeheartedly. I did not march because I'm so pregnant. <laughs> I, I <laughs> hope that you did I wanted march. to. Well, though. of course. But then my I husband was like, feet, uh, your There's your not a to be stage. You're a But, you know, I I was getting these shitty seeming comments from people. On Instagram, being like, tell me, what rights are the women marching for? What rights don't they have? Why don't you march in another country? And, like, I think some of it was people trying to be shitty and trying to, like, ensnare me into a debate. But some of it maybe maybe was a legitimate question of what is the point of the march? I don't understand, you know? And, and like, I just kind of grouped them all together and was, like, not going to pay attention to any of that. You know. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think there's people out there that that. Um,
1: and that doesn't that, it doesn't help. Now, granted, I don't feel like it's my job <laughs> to yeah, to bring I someone mean, over to our side. Not or, or that's the wrong way to put it. Actually, whatever. It's not my job to like disseminate info in a comment. But I do think a willingness to have a conversation is always a good thing.
0: Yeah, I I mean I think that there's a lot of that where there's a lot of. Um, uh there's a lot of men out there that haven't looked into the issues that much and and maybe uh haven't haven't really i mean first off you can try to be as empathetic as you want and i can't understand what it's like to be a woman and i don't think a woman can understand what it's like to be a man 100 percent, i just don't think that that's a possibility Mm -hmm. um unless you've changed sexes or something like maybe but but um I, I think there's probably like guys out there that feel like they're being attacked for no reason, feel right. like they've never done anything wrong or whatever, and and feel like they're they're being called an asshole over nothing, and and also don't don't recognize like why they should be supporting some of these things. I don't know. It's so tricky. This is these are really really frustrating. <laughs> these are exceptionally frustrating times because even I I I mean I often there's uh, there's a lot of um there's a lot of like over uh PC culture of of even even like scientists where I'll have on my podcast that aren't allowed to that, that will get attacked for presenting information about say something like sexual differences mm-hmm. that are, are and I'm talking like uh, females that study sexual differences I've had on over and over again on my show that get attacked all the time by um, by say sociologists or whatever, that's no, no. This is all. This is all just the environment. and You paid into your baby's room blue, and that's why they act like a boy or whatever. And and um, but there, there's a lot of uh, evolutionary uh, basis as well for for why men and women have um, just a few different psychological mechanisms for behaving in different ways for mating and whatnot, which is of course amplified by by society. And so. So I I do think that some things um, were maybe a little p- overly PC here and there, but now I mean, th- now with everything that's happened, I'm like, well, I guess it wasn't PC enough because <laughs> now it's it's complete insanity out there. I, I I don't know what happened. I don't know if it it's was just a crazy, backlash against yeah. the PC stuff or or I, I mean I I don't I don't know it if it's like, like willful doing, we, ignorance or or if it's just
1: we're just going in the opposite direction now. Seem,
0: yeah, it seems like we're resetting like. Two hundred years of, of progress and, I know and but now with all of the new fancy technology and stuff that we have it's it's uh it's bizarre I, Are you I talking don't about get Twitter
1: it. or nukes
0: <laughs> um both yeah 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 it's i i don't know i have, I have no idea what to, <laughs> the situation is very frustrating i i you, you know what's funny is I started my podcast um, precisely because I felt like it. It was. Um, I mean, I I was interested in all the science stuff, and but then also part of it was the more that I I was like a very angry atheist and very bitter, and then the more that I learned about evolution, and uh, I was like, oh well, I didn't know how evolution worked. I just believed in it mm. because I I knew like some base level stuff about it, and I didn't believe in. Uh, creationism and then once I started learning more I was like well this stuff is incredibly complicated and a lot of people just don't have access to these ideas and so I kind of it was part of my mission was to kind of a- appeal to people that um, that are just interested in this stuff and, and just haven't had access to some of these ideas um, and and I really believed that I could find ways of explaining this stuff to kind of anybody and, and a lot of a lot of my listeners I think most a, a lot of listeners for a lot of podcasts are people that are um, driving trucks and uh, kind of work and working in factories mm-hmm. or or have the have these jobs where they just have the opportunity to listen to a bunch of podcasts and kind of can do some of these mindless tax tasks right. need a little uh stimulation that's like, and that's kind of the environment that I was from I did a lot of factory work so I kind of made it. Specifically for those people and and because I was it, it seemed like you know things were going really well and then with my with my tour, it seemed like i was like oh man i'm i'm performing everywhere all over the country doesn 't small towns everywhere, and people are like getting these. Higher concept ideas, and it was just so encouraging. and And I always wanted to just do a joke about, or not a joke, a a whole just shows about how the brain worked is all. And and so I've kind of found these little gimmicks to get people to come out. And I was like, well, maybe I won't even need the gimmick anymore. Maybe there's just enough people out there that are interested in this stuff, and I can present it in this way. And then after the election, I was just like, "Wow, I I had no idea how many people there were out there that were just so, still so hateful, angry, and just pridefully ignorant." And yeah. and, and not that everyone that voted for Trump is that way, but I, I just there's whew, there's a lot of that out there.
1: What's weird is lately my Twitter feed is filled pretty much with people who are horrified by what's happening in the world. Yeah. And I wonder, is that based on who I follow? Or is that actually a reflection of how most people feel? I mean, yes, there are people who will defend Trump on there. And there are pe- you know, there, there are hateful people. Um, but for the most part, it seems the majority of people are not on board with what's happening. I don't
0: know. I think on Facebook there's plenty of people that are it, definitely my Twitter feed is like that, um, like mine. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe but, it just
1: depends on where you're looking.
0: But I think my my Facebook where I just had a, a lot of early on people uh, people that followed me and or I added you know years ago back back when I just um did jokes you know and fun for fun's sake sort of sort of stuff. Um, I kind of. Uh, built more of a um audience that was um just you know into like Red hey State. let's go out and have a yeah i probably had a little more of that and mm-hmm. i i used to uh i mean i still do perform a lot in those areas and so yeah if i if i look through my facebook feed which i almost never do <laughs> but if i do there's plenty of i mean oh the memes drive drive me crazy of, of like uh Share this if you're brave, uh, brave enough patriot. To- <laughs> and then what will it be a
1: picture of?
0: Uh, of like, uh, you know, it's always like Trump plus American flag plus a gun and, and or, you know, what? <laughs> and, and so, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, Were you brave I'm really enough? confused right now. And no, I was not brave <laughs> enough to share that nor interested. Um, so. It, yeah, I I don't know, I I don't know what to think. I, I know, but but there's also people that one if someone just was like, well, I always vote Republican. Well, like I don't really have a problem with that. Like if someone's Republican, that's I it's just a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think Trump. I I never said a single bad thing about any other. I never t- posted a single bad thing about any other uh, Republican candidate through the season. I never. Uh, I never like openly endorsed Hillary or anything like that, but I just thought I was like, this, really, this Trump guy? Like you, you can't. He's <laughs> a you can't reality be TV star, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I it's uh, it is complete insanity. to yeah. me. Yeah,
1: it really is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I, I mean. It, it one, like one those... nice thing is is it's a little bit like a kind of like a bad trip in a way where where sometimes these these bad trips that you have what they do is they bring out some some kind of like uglier parts of you uh, the, whether it's the some insecurities or some hatefulness or mm-hmm. jealousy or whatever these kind of negative traits that you then recognize are affecting you in in your everyday life and driving a lot of your behaviors, but you didn't realize that was what was driving your behavior because they were below the surface and it can kind of bring those to the surface a little bit. And I think, uh, I think a lot of those people were, were very much hidden, um, under our view. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think a lot of, a lot of that stuff kind of came out of the closet. Uh, it's like a uh,
1: giant Biore poor perfect strip for this whole country. (laughs) Just pulling them up. Yeah. Yeah. Um let's take some questions from listeners. But sure. first, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything. They probably have your albums. Yes, Amazon? Yes, they do. For example, click through the banner on my website alisonrosen.com doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show. Thank you guys so much for your Amazon support. Also, I'm on Patreon. Patreon is sort of like Kickstarter, you, but you can support artists, podcasters, etc. and on an ongoing monthly basis. So, there's different reward levels. You can get extra bonus episodes every month. You can get access to an exclusive interactive video live stream. There's a level where you get merchandise in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. For more info on that, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Allison Rosen. And also, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay, let's see what people want to know. When we ask and send
0: them in, they're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these
1: questions from our fans. Okay, Kyle wants to know what's the worst DMT reaction he's had or witnessed.
0: Um. Oh, well, those are two different questions. Um, had I would say um, uh, DMT does not seem to like it when you are drunk. At Is least DMT it doesn't something like
1: me. you snort
0: um, and it's
1: like super painful.
0: No. Okay. Um, MDMA you can snort and it's super painful, I remember but most people do it in a pill. Was... I, I I bet there's some sort of version of DMT out there. there. There's a lot of different versions of DMT. the The main one is one that you smoke, and and there's a couple different versions that you smoke.
1: Okay, I remember uh, reading a a thing a long time ago that was like describing all the different someone's experience with all the different drugs, and there was one that where they said snorting it is like being kicked in the face by a psychotic horse. And I just always remembered that. Like whatever the, that one was sounds really painful. That was D D T. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um well there's like there there's some DMT suppository. There's some there's some um I mean the first human trials of DMT, they were it was injected okay. into them. And then there's some sort of liquid um DMT that that you can take with with some other things and have like a four-hour long kind of like uh the ayahuasca tea, but um more of d m t like um i've i've had uh i did i was drunk and did i've done d m t three times while drunk, and the first and the third time were the worst the first time I was smoking it, and um I didn't think it was working, and then I realized like i i couldn't move, I just simply. I, I, so I kept on smoking it and smoking mm-hmm. it, and then I really I was just like frozen in space, and uh, and I could still see everything, and it was everything was just uh, hyper clear, but it was like I was predicting the people's motions that were around me and stuff, and and I so thought it like was your like
1: your sense of temporal or time stuff was altered.
0: Yeah, it was. It was as if I could. Like, if someone went to move their arm, it was as if I knew exactly how they were going to mo- be moving their arm and everything. And and then... Um,
1: what a shitty superpower to see two seconds into the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, it was more just troubling than yeah. anything. And and uh, I was just, I like, couldn't move and I was just stuck. And then when I kind of got unstuck, I laid my head back and then all of a sudden this like really crappy Nintendo music started playing in my head and then it was like this really crappy version of a pong of of <laughs> just like these two paddles and this ball just slowly like dink dink <laughs> dink and dmt was like do you think this is a game how about this for a game how about this forever and i'm like no i don't oh that, boy no i don't want this forever that, that sounds, sounds awful. awful and then uh another time the third time that i did it i was really uh really drunk and did a lot and then uh and then there was just this this kind of red and white like net that went all over my face and everywhere and was just like you cannot come in here and then it just like turned into this weird hellish yeah it's very like kind of um like a very angry very like kind of a devilish like and and then and then it just felt like my i it felt like i was shooting around through a pinball machine just wildly out of control and my my brain was just like shooting around everywhere and bouncing off all of these and it was uh very intense and very very unpleasant and, and then i've had some really i've had good dmt trips that were just uh almost a little too intense for me as well um As far as things that I saw, one time I saw someone, um, the first two minutes are very, very intense. And I once saw someone um, faint in the first two minutes because it was just too, it was like a sensory overload and too much for them. And they fainted and that scared me a little bit. And yeah.
1: Given all the bad experiences or given the handful of bad experiences you had, what made you continue to try it? Or well, were those at the end?
0: Yeah, I mean i've I've done DMT like a hundred times, okay. so those are like three negative experiences that I've had, and I've were seen you gun shy do it at too. all to redo it? I still am. Yeah, to this day, I haven't had DMT in about four months. I've been on tour and everything, but um, yeah, I mean, I get. I get nervous just about any time. Unless I've had it recently, you come out of it and you're like, what was I so scared of? That was wonderful. I could do that again. And then if you do it the next day, you're maybe not so nervous. But then if a couple months go by, now now the idea of it definitely makes me nervous. It's just so jarring and so different than uh, this reality. It's like a completely different world or dimension altogether is what it seems like. Am I, am, I believe it's so? I believe it's within our heads, but most people think if they're seeing gods or spirits or whatever in different dimensions, which I get is what it looks like. I just don't think that's the case.
1: So forgive this naive question. No problem. Why would someone choose DMT over one of the other psychedelics? Another way of saying that is what is it known for?
0: Well, DMT is called the spirit molecule. And um, so so if you say you do mushrooms or acid or something like that, you might get some visuals here and there. Um, but But... Most commonly, they're just kind of like uh, little bits of of trails or something like that, or things get maybe a little jumpy, or or um, uh, your carpet might start kind of crawling around a, li- a little bit or s- a little a little squirmy. I mean, it, I not not LS- really.
1: Without I thought with LSD, you do have a fair amount of hallucinations. No, well,
0: if you do enough of it, LSD just doesn't affect me very very much. Mm. Um, so for me, it kind of turns everything on high definition um and details pop out and stuff like that and whereas dmt is just you literally leave this world basically and uh it's it's like a real kind of out-of-body experience and so uh, i i mean so they think maybe dmt is released in high volumes right before people die because dmt is already in your head mm. and and so that's why people are lucky enough to be revived. They have stories of seeing gods and spirits and tunnels and all that stuff. So it's a way of kind of taking a little peek at that <laughs> uh, basically. So that's intriguing for some people certainly as for me. And, um, and it's uh, the reason why I like it so much is I, be, I believe that I'm getting a few insights into, um, some complicated ideas about how the mind might work on, on some levels that, uh, uh, that are very tough to conceptualize um and, and tough to measure and study but i i mean um i think that uh i've i've uh i've ran some of my ideas about it by um by some neuroscientists before and they're like oh you mean like this person this this scientist from back when i'm like i don't know what you're talking about uh you know, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that person's work. And basically, it's sort of like someone that had some controversial work about how the brain worked. And, and they're like, "Well, you're just explaining exactly what they they said." And so, that aspect of it is intriguing um, to me. Kind of figuring out um, uh, some of some of how um, how these levels of perception, uh, like say we have these various personalities within our head. So so you're you're pregnant right now and and when your baby comes out it has a it has a um a fairly developed brain already but
1: that's the hope
0: but do um, not have
1: dumb shit uh,
0: well it's all it, <laughs> it's going to be a while I know. we're we're human babies are kind of all premature yeah. and and so that's why they're they're so helpless for so long um and but right now i believe that uh i mean your your baby has consciousness like consciousness doesn't start when it comes out and so so what is that world like inside of its head right now is it uh and and so in d m t you see all of these fractals and lights and like kind of different cities and um and i think that uh so so a fractal is a a way of of taking a shape and and kind of um uh replicating so you, you can take like a triangle mm-hmm. and, and put a program in that's like now put a, a triangle a third of the size on each, each oh i side know i used and... to have a
1: fractal screensaver for years
0: yeah <laughs> yeah but it, but it is so if you're like measuring the perimeter of this triangle and now there's a, a tri- triangle a third of the size on on each side and then you do it again on each side of those small triangles and you're putting The perimeter of it becomes longer and longer each time you do that. And if you have just have a program that does that infinitely, then that means the perimeter is infinitely long, but that still fits within a finite space. Like you could draw a box around it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way of somehow containing infinity in a finite space. And I think that on the, I think that there's levels of perception in our brain that, that use um, these kind of holographic fractals. To, uh, to send packets of information. It's a way of uh, uh, putting kind of this recursive, um, uh, in a way, infinite amount of information through a very small amount of space. And so I think that possibly when people are doing ayahuasca or DMT, I think that it's because it's so jarring for the brain that the brain thinks that it's potentially dying and searching back in time really quickly to find mm. a solution to what's happening like um have i been in a situation like this before that can get me out of it and and i think it is going back so your brain's like
1: i played pong (laughs) yeah yeah exactly
0: (laughs) i played pong once maybe that can get me out of this and so i think that that maybe you're actually going back into the origins of your consciousness like
1: your embryonic consciousness right
0: right and um. And so, so these are just like the kind of concepts that I like exploring, and and um, and so that's one thing. And then something like mushrooms or apple or or acid or something is like apples and oranges. And I think that stuff is more of like a therapeutic kind of understanding some of your feelings and habits and things like that a little more intimately. It can kind of it can kind of break through some of your habits, which can. It can make some some simple tasks a huge pain in the ass, just because these things are that are kind of automatic for you, like putting on your shoes and walking to the gas station or something like that, can be a real chore. But the upside of that is is that you can kind of reassess some of the, these things that you kind of do without thinking about it, um, and maybe come up with some better uh, solutions for for doing those things. Yeah, some, sometimes you have an idea where. Uh, you know, let's say marketing my my new show. There's been a million. I w- I was never I never focused much on marketing or anything like that. With this show, I've had to a lot more. And every few months, I come across something like, "Oh my god! If I would have figured this particular thing out six months ago, it could have saved me thousands of dollars and got so many more people out and everything else." And and so. It's little things like that that you, you just aren't – you're just like, well, I'm just doing this thing the way that I've always done it because it's always worked for me. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way to do it. So so I, I would say those kinds of psychedelics and then a psychedelic like DMT are have two different um, kind of uh, reasons for doing yeah. them, applications, positive and negatives.
1: In terms of perception, I will – frequent not, not frequently but every now and then i'll just be looking around i remember sitting in my parents house looking at their potted plant thinking how it's so bizarre that we put little trees in our home like as if we are living is it to remind ourselves that we used to live in nature or what is that you know or like talking on the phone before cell phones, like we're picking up this little box and we're talking into it and then we hear a voice or even driving around. Like it's so weird that we all just climb into these boxes to move around, even if it's just a short little amount of time. And I think about how weird it is. Weird is not the the most articulate word, but you know what I'm saying? And then like I want I want to be able to look at it and for it to strike visually to strike me as strange but it just looks normal to me, mm-hmm. you know what I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of ideas about kind of how our sense of beauty evolved um it, so if say all of these kind of classically beautiful landscapes um that you see pictures of and and whatnot I, I mean there there's also like desert landscapes and everything else but but just um the the classic like kind of ideal environment or or where someone would want say say. You're picturing a place where you would want to have a little cottage or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, that environment likely, ha- as like a lake or something. So you have yourself a water source, and then you have um, some tree coverage, but not not too much as well. So it's not say as hard to navigate around as a uh, jungle but then there's there's tree cover in our environment where we were able to hide behind some of the this tree cover but then there was uh these open areas where we could uh see prey as well and and so there's all of these different evolved things like that or if you take something like um like the the color red for example there's um trees uh trees just kind of like dropped seeds and replicated that way but then it was easier if you could uh, then say if the seeds just falling straight down it's not necessarily getting the light that it needs because the tree itself is blocking Mm -hmm. its offspring's light and so if you can have something that rolls away or flies off in the wind or better yet if you can coat it in something that is desirable to say a bird and then a bird eats it and then goes and poops it out somewhere a long ways away. It might uh, that might be a, a good way to reproduce your genes. So once you start doing something like that, then if you can make this um, bit of food a little easier to see, uh, which red is a great way of contrasting green, right. it really pops out. And so then once uh, so then the bird that that uh, has this. Um, natural attraction to the color red is going to pass its genes on more because it's going to find more berries and same thing with humans and all life is is uh they're going to be finding more berries that way if, if they happen to have this natural inclination and then um skip forward millions of years and um i'll and who knows if that's why we have, like, rosy cheeks or, or red lips because right. this color red became… Appeals a, to a, birds. <laughs> a, 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 it seems like kind of nutrients, too. It seems like, seems like something sweet that right. you'd want to eat.
1: Right. Aaron Jade says, what do you think of your latest nickname, Shaman Moss or Shaman, depending on how you pronounce it, coined by Pete Holmes and Billy Wayne Davis?
0: I didn't know that they called oh, me that. Okay. Um, I am, uh, I'm, I'm kind of anti shaman to be honest with you. Uh, I had way too churchy of an upbringing. Yeah. I, I don't like culty stuff. I've done a couple ayahuasca experiences and it's not that I had anything against the shaman. I've met shaman stuff, especially on this tour. I meet all sorts of people involved in various psychedelic communities and, um, it's just not something that appeals to me i i think that uh i i if i'm Aaron, tripping, he hates it i i don't uh I, I think that there's a lot of ego involved in shamanism yeah, in a way. It does and, seem that and, way and and some of the tripping stuff like some when i hear people um say like oh i had an ego death while tripping or whatever it's like well then why are you bragging about it you know <laughs>
1: it seems it's think. reborn
0: yeah i'm pretty sure it's alive and well I know. trying to one up the next guys and like when when i did i mean so my couple ayahuasca experiences that i did we had to like go up and bow before the shaman and Barf. stuff and it, it, yeah it was just like really kind of unsettling for me and and uh, yeah i mean uh, um it, it's it's kind of this weird thing where Um, I'm someone who is like very much against preachers and then sometimes finds myself preaching (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm some, someone who's kind of against the idea of shamans, but, uh, but I'm also all about kind of educating people and help. And I, I, I do enjoy, um, when I'm able to trip with people and, and just help them through things, but I'm, I'm very kind of hands off and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I, I think that's, that's what shamanism should be. Not necessarily like, uh. Making sure Guru. you have to have this one particular ritual where you clap your uh, hands together five times and then blow incense in someone's hair and like i I, I can't handle that stuff
1: <laughs> um, uh Rachel Wizenhunt wants to know what topic has been the most interesting to discuss on here we are
0: well um I really like talking about um the stress response system, I haven't talked about it nearly as much as I would like to. Um, I So our, our stress response system is exceptionally basic and is basically the same stress response system that every mammal um, experiences, which is these kinds of sets of hormones that get released to delegate energy to... Uh, to say your thighs so that you can run and get away from danger and in the meantime it kind of shuts down all these things that aren't necessary at that time like your say immune system or sex drive and digestion and, and those sorts of things and and the problem with humans is, is m- most mammals they get out of that situation and then they just go back to whatever it is that they're doing and they and, and there's this um uh there's this other uh after after the stress response system is done there's all these other hormones that get released that dial everything back down and get the digestion going again and all of that and humans are able to think so far into the future Mm -hmm. and conceptualize all these abstract ideas and so we're able to set off our stress response system over anything when we're thinking about 401ks and and uh when we're in traffic and even when we don't have anywhere to be
1: sometimes even when we don't even know what set it off like i'll suddenly be sitting there feeling all agitated and then i'm like have to trace my chain of thoughts to figure out like i know i had a disturbing thought what was it Mm -hmm. you know it can happen so fast it's like these thoughts like automatic thoughts i guess
0: yeah and i i also think that uh i think that we're in a in a sense allergic to life i i think that um uh, much like allergies uh we we were in this environment where you could never sterilize an environment enough and there was always all these threats and contaminated things around you and and all sorts of illnesses and and various um things that you would come across in your immune system was very, very busy, and I think we evolved a pretty sturdy immune system that really does a pretty nice job of protecting us against threats. In fact, I, I think it's so good that now, since we've invented things like Lysol and, and things like <laughs> right. that, that are actually able to get rid of most all of the bacteria, I, I think that... Um, so. um So what happens is then when you're kind of in this... Um, sterile kind of bubble. Uh, your your immune system now just is is itself. built is built to perceive X amount of threats in the environment. And now those threats aren't there, and so now it's it's going. Oh, dander! That must be the threat. Uh, <laughs> we know there's threats out there somewhere, and and so now it, it's, cats. Yeah, <laughs> and th- those are. Uh, I'll chalk that up to the pregnancy, young lady. <laughs> and uh these are these are things that um that aren't an actual threat now the allergy itself is the threat to you and the immune system response itself is the threat to you i think in much the same way we have these psychological allergies where we we evolved in an environment where there were legitimate threats of being eaten by lions Mm -hmm. and attacked by neighboring troops and whatnot and and we're psychologically ready for x amount of danger and so people that don't experience it like say people in a small town that are in a bubble and never have to experience a tremendous amount of like actual anxiety or uh, uh uh actual like danger in their lives and, and sure that th- you know they might be worried about their jobs and, and whatnot but this isn't like necessarily life or death th- stuff i right. think i think that they're starting to project uh i think th- th- these um i i think that they're uh, br- all of our brains just come up We just dream up these threats that don't actually exist.
1: Plenty of people who spend their day watching the news or looking at the stock market and their stress response is triggered by that repeatedly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then the and then the news really taps into this. It's not like they're it's not like they have an awareness of the evolutionary reasons why this stuff is something that we attach to but the the news kind of sensationalizes everything and tries to show us you know one shark attack or whatever it might be and then everyone's like oh i don't want to get in the ocean ever again because i'll get attacked by a shark right. and, and these are things that are statistical anomalies in fact the more rare it is the more the news latches onto it and plays it up just specifically because that's what our brains will respond to and, uh, ooh, ooh, there's a there's a threat out there I didn't even think of. And mm. and people it's in your latch coffee onto cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that causes a lot of problems. And then and then there's just all sorts of interesting little thing. I, I really like the things that are just pretty simple to apply to day to day life, like things like uh, it's pretty well tested that um, that active leisure is better for your long-term well-being than passive leisure and there and things like uh planning i just had some episodes about how planning vacations um and and like having a really strict schedule through the vacation will ruin it you just turned your vacation into work and so if you really want to have a schedule like that have someone else plan it for you and and follow it
1: fun anecdote about how i'm an asshole so my husband and i early on bonded over uh not being those kind of people who go on vacation and like have to have an itinerary and have to get up at a certain hour we just like to go somewhere and hang out Mm -hmm. the last many vacations have been me being like hey what are we going to do today really we're just Let's do something. Let's do something. There's so much. We're, we're not. We're only here this many days. Here's all the things I want to do. So it turns out I, I didn't know myself. Well, a little bit of that <laughs> is
0: good. Uh, yeah. I mean, but so I think I I sold them a bill of
1: false goods because, <laughs> <laughs> turns out I don't like to just hang out and do nothing, in an, a cool city as much as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it just like little things like that that can make such an effect on. I mean, I think that if people started understanding that uh rewarding yourself with material possessions is ultimately not nearly uh as good for most people's psychological well-being as as uh having experiences mm-hmm. like going out to eat or seeing a play or doing doing something uh new or um going for hikes or things Th- those are the things that people look back on um more fondly. And then there's also things like if if you uh if you have if you have uh say you get a promotion in in uh at work and you buy yourself uh something as a reward. Some of those things can actually be some of those material things can actually be like a nice reminder mm. of how far you've come. So knowing when to get that stuff and and when not to um is interesting and tricky it's not some of the uh ideas about self-deception um is something that i really like exploring on my podcast and then um
1: like what would be an example of self-deception
0: um uh, just kind of the the sort of things that i was talking about earlier where you you uh think you're 20
1: percent more attractive
0: yeah and 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 the idea of of uh the, the the better. Oh right, uh, you're, b- you're better at better lying driver, if you're yeah. believing that you're right. uh, lying, and then um, things like uh, learned helplessness. I think is a, another really big important one. They take they take rats and put them in a cage, and you can um, you can you're going to say shock the rat, and at first a a light. So in, in one subject, a light comes on before it's going to get shocked, and it can do something about it um and and make sure that the shock doesn't happen or whatever and then and then there's another set of rats where um it will the light doesn't come on but there's a shock and then they can run over and hit a lever and the shock will stop so they have control over it so a big part of stress is about lack of control and about the uh kind of the unknown not so they'll take another um, so, so that's the unknown, but it has control. And then they have the opposite where it has no control, but, but, um, but they get a warning just the light comes on. They know it's got uh, that they're going to get shocked, but they can kind of brace themselves mm-hmm. and they're ready for it. And they know it's only going to last for this long and, um, it, it experiences stress and everything, but not nearly at the same level as the poor rat that, that they just randomly shock yeah. it all the time and, and if you do that to a rat what it learns is that this world is just full of sh- unpredictable shocks and there's nothing you can do about it and so then if you go back and try to train this rat some of these things that any other rat picks up on and in no time at all it simply won't learn um how to take control over its life because it's already learned that there's nothing that you can do to take control over I feel
1: it i so bad for these rats
0: well you should feel even worse for people because a lot of a lot of people uh well, experience this all of the time that's
1: probably i'm probably over identifying with the rats yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well i mean well it,
1: that's trauma early in life right
0: yeah yeah i think i think there's a lot of people out there that I, I i feel like i suffered from learned help helplessness for a lot of times in my life as well and where so what happens is you just simply don't look for opportunities anymore you don't look to better yourself you've just completely given up there's no way out of this and um so yeah those are are some things that off the top of my head i really like learning about
1: let's do just mirror everyone but first i want to say in case anyone out there got the wrong idea i don't really have a problem with cats at all (laughs) jeff would beg to differ jeff feels that in general as a podcast, there's some feline I would say more people have been dog people. But I personally like cats. I wish I could have a cat. I just happen to be allergic. Mm. Um, <laughs> Someone's not saying anything. Okay, let's do just...
0: I'm fine with cats. I want, I want the listeners to know I'm just fine with cats and Thank dogs you. Yeah, and rats and all sorts of things. I'm and I'm not thing. allergic either to anything. It's awesome.
1: Jeff, rebuttal.
0: <laughs> I don't know what to say. The uh, it it's not a zero sum game. That's all I would like to say to people. You know, what does that mean? You can like you, both. You can like both. Yeah, yeah. I
1: agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah.
0: I like both. All right, let's do just mirror everything
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sometimes
0: I ponder on something. Or
1: done. Is it just me or everyone? Alright, this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we let them know if we also do these things. Um Mr. Boinkity says, just me or everyone. Oftentimes I scratch myself in certain parts of my body and think to myself, I should probably go wash my hands. Nah. I definitely relate to the laziness of that.
0: I rarely wash my hands after scratching myself and yeah. sometimes
1: I should for sure. So then that is everyone. Uh, yeah, does anyone wash their hands small after scratching sample size, themselves? size, for sure.
0: Yeah. It's uh I I don't know if I guess maybe
1: sometimes. I feel like if you're the kind of person who would wash your hands after scratching yourself, you're the kind of person who wouldn't be scratching yourself. Yeah, you probably just don't
0: yeah. mess around with it. Then.
1: <laughs> right. You just you know, you keep your hands off the junk because ew. Okay, Ray Morgan says speaking of when i hear the word penal i think pertaining to penis and laugh like the 10 year old that i am hashtag penal colony hashtag dick town um yeah i would not say 100 percent of the time i hear penal if i hear it in in context i don't always think penis but yeah it sounds penile
0: i mean i don't i think that there aren't There's not people that don't at least draw a quick comparison to the penis within their head. I think a lot of people dismiss that rather quickly, and I think uh, it's probably not terribly amusing (laughs) to a fair amount of people. Um, But I don't know. I'd I'd say that's like 50-50.
1: I kind of wish I could get there with farts. Like, I think most (laughs) adults appreciate farts for what they are, but then move on. But like, I think they are... Very, very funny. Yeah. I'm like a 7th grade boy when it comes to farts yeah. and fart humor.
0: They're pretty funny. They, Their farts are pretty funny. They're
1: pretty great. Um, <laughs> <tee-hee>. <laughs> That's me appreciating them. <laughs> Maddie Porter says, Can never decide if I hate or love the smell of Subway. I don't know what Subway smells like. I don't know the particular Subway smell. I feel like I think they're Maybe very like they're it? very
0: bready because I think they bake the bread. There. Oh, so I think, there's I think a, it's a real yeasty smell. Yeah, a right? yeasty, bakey smell to them. Yeah, mm. with like a little deli thrown in.
1: I could see not knowing whether to like it or not. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can't, I can't smell it in my mind right now. Unless she's talking about the subway, in which case she means <laughs> no. Yeah, urine, yeah, yeah, urine mixed with <laughs> incense. <her>. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Elisa Torres says, "I feel rude when a stranger unexpectedly waves." Hi, or smiles, and I don't realize it was at me. Sorry, crossing guard man. Yeah, well, I think that's universal when someone greets you and you're like, oh, was that for me? But see, I don't want to be the person who's standing in front of, like, let's say someone waves at someone behind me. I don't want to be the person who's like, hey. That's embarrassing too.
0: I always feel really bad with waiters. I think that I have like a lot of waiter blindness, and I feel <laughs> like I, I sometimes like I'll, I'll just be eating, and a waiter will come by and ask a question. I'm just like, yeah, 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 and like not acknowledging them as a person, but I'm just like wrapped up in my own world, and then they're coming. They don't know that they're coming in when I'm exceptionally deep in, deep in yeah. thought or in a really deep conversation. I'm just like, ah, you know, and I, I, I feel rude about that mm-hmm. for sure. I, feel very guilty. In fact, if you're a waiter and you do that to me, I probably end up tipping you more. So, that's a clever trick that you did by interrupting my deep thought.
1: Where are you with like the way you treat cab drivers or Uber or Lyft drivers? Well, Uber and Lyft I feel like are different. But cab drivers in general, my thing is like I get into a cab and then I don't talk. <laughs> and then at the oh, end yeah. I pay. Maybe a few niceties at the beginning, at the end I pay and then I leave. I do I don't have a whole deep exchange and i don't really want to have one but then maybe that's not cool
0: i don't want to have one at all i mean i usually i usually have my computer out or i'm doing things on my phone it's especially for me right now i mean i've uh you know i was driving like three and a half four hours a day on this tour and then doing shows and and i never had time to get a lot of my my stuff done and then the few times when i got someone else to drive me, you know, or, or right, get picked up by Uber, it's like, up. oh, I can finish some emails or whatever. But I am a, I'm a great uh, Uber tipper, I, I, and I have a, I have my, my rating is ninety nine percent or whatever. So obviously, the, I don't think the drivers mind that I'm not no. making conversation if I'm, if I'm. If at the end of it, I give them a big tip. And I, I think I think that they probably get that I'm... And I don't care what they have on or what they're listening to either. So they can be off in their own world listening to whatever as well. I don't feel bad about that one. The waiter one I feel bad about.
1: Mm-hmm. Brian Williams says, The only time I turn the brightness up on my phone is to watch porn.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I can see. I mean... Well, I mean, anytime I watch anything on my computer, which is rarely, but if I watch a TV show or whatever, I guess I probably watch more porn than TV on my computer, and I definitely turn the brightness up. Hmm. I have it down to like a third brightness, usually, and I turn it all the way up. Right. To really treat myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's an interesting... I bet that's everyone.
1: That's probably everyone.
0: I mean, everyone that puts it down in the first place. That's what I'm realizing is that up. I
1: don't turn my brightness down. I don't have it up all the way, but I have it like pretty decently bright.
0: Yeah, I feel I just feel like it's easier on my eyes. Yeah. A little...
1: Rich Bryant says, There is hand soap on my kitchen sink, but I never use it. Always use the dish soap to wash my hands. That is harsh on your hands, my friend. Mm. Is it? I think so. Mm. I think of dish soap as a little as more harsh than like hand soap.
0: Dish soap seems like extra slippery to me or something i don't know why but um yeah i don't think that's everyone at all i think most people would use the hand soap if they have it there i right. think either people would be like you know a dude that doesn't care and just uses the same soup for everything yeah. but if you have it at the sink i would yeah
1: that's we it. don't have hand soap at our kitchen sink though we just have dishwashing soap
0: so then you'd use the dishwasher. yeah
1: i just don't but wash my a... hands at the kitchen sink very often mm. or ever
0: hmm I would still think that's almost just him because he he specifically said he has hand soap right, right by it and then chooses to use the other one. What
1: but, if I were to carry my dishes into the bathroom and wash them with hand soap?
0: That would be just you. <laughs> okay.
1: I don't do that. Gabby J says, I always stay up too late even though I love to sleep. Logically, I should want to go to sleep early, but I never learn. Yes, I relate to that. Well, as a pregnant person, I go to sleep early, but... As a human being, I relate to this, and also I relate to this with showering. Like I love the feeling of being in the shower. So why do why do I take so long to get in the shower?
0: Oh, I am that with showering, yeah, big time. I
1: can't motivate. That's me for like nine hours of the yeah. day. I got to take a shower. I can't motivate. And then once I'm in there, I'm like, I this is probably one of my favorite sensations. So why yeah. do I deprive myself?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, showering's the best.
1: You know what it is? I think. It depends if it's just a like, like in pregnancy, I have realized that I'm very comfortable in the shower and the water feels good. So I don't really like, I'll, I'll take showers frequently. Um, And it's not related to getting ready to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I think the showers that I put off are the ones that are like, I'm going somewhere tonight. It's been a really long time since I've had anywhere that I needed to go at night. But, um, but back when I was, more social um or just in my 20s when i went out all the time it was, so it was like i'm really tired i need to get in the shower wake myself up begin the process of getting ready to go out and mm-hmm. that i just wanted to, to put off because i just want to sit around
0: yeah yeah um i also stay up way too late almost all the time but it is you gotta if you want to go to bed earlier you just have to turn off any screen in like two hours before your bedtime or whatever yeah Read a book, especially if it's like, especially if it's something that's a little drier, or like cognitively challenging. You know, get get a science book and read it in <laughs> bed, and and you will fall right to sleep.
1: Shane Moss, it was so nice having you on the show.
0: Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you so much. This it's so was nice great. To be here.
1: Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at Ariymbf. Jeff, where should we go for you?
0: You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. At Colonel Jeff Fox. Hashtag cats rule.
1: <laughs> And Shane, tell them where to find you and plug anything you'd like to plug.
0: At Shane Comedy on Twitter. Um, check out my, um, my website, Shane moss M-A-U-S-S dot com to see my tour. If you're interested in seeing my psychedelic show that I'm touring with, if you look through the list of cities and you already missed me, um, you may not have an opportunity to see it um, anytime soon. But... Um, but if your city's not on there, I'm, I'm extending stuff all the time. So maybe I'll still see you. And then also I would very much love if you check out the Here We Are podcast. and go to herewearepodcast.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you again. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show?
0: We had a good time, but now we got Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best friend